All right, welcome to the Dadpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Oliveira. Today, my guest, Rich, he is going to talk to us about the convergence of data, marketing, and AI. It's something that we've been talking quite a bit about because as, as entrepreneurs, one of the most exciting things in technology that, in my opinion, that has happened uh, is, is the rise of AI. Now, we could talk about all the doomsday scenarios with AI, but when it comes to a solopreneur, who depends on, you know, a small army of maybe freelancers, but they're mainly doing their work as a service provider or e-commerce business, mostly alone. The tools that exist today, not just for copywriting or video editing, but there's so many tools out there that can really help you be more productive so that you could spend more time with your clients and more time with your staff. So I'm excited to talk to Rich. Rich Edwards, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Alex. Absolutely. So, so talk to us about your background because I found it very intriguing. You were uh, you oversaw the launch of IBM Watson's Developer mm -hmm. Cloud, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, 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 that's correct. So, so I, I was a long time IBM guy. Uh, some stuff before that, but but that was the big chunk and and particularly the core of my beginnings in software. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in the um, kind of infrastructure side of the business and. That obviously means a lot of government and and financial services and banking work, and that that was kind of like my my industry angle and where I kind of really uh, cut my teeth to begin with. And right around 2013, um, I got tapped to go work in what would become the the Watson AI business unit, and this was kind of like between the era of the the um, uh, you know the Jeopardy challenge. Um, yeah. and, and really kind of having a commercial offering in there. And they were like really trying to figure it out. And I, not that I had any background in this at that, at that point. Um, but I kind of knew how to get things through the IBM system, bring new, new offerings, how we were actually going to like take this from an idea that was essentially living in a lab, mm -hmm. uh, into something that was distributed through the IBM system. Right. And that was kind of my value add, at least for the beginning part. And that, got me in the door. And then it was really an invitation to drink from the fire hose. And because of my background of what I was doing before, particularly from a, a banking and financial services standpoint, I then became like the bank guy from Watson that would go mm. out and, and talk to a lot of folks. And the thing that we did that was, that was part of the developer cloud was it was the first offering that we had that was let our clients build on top of our technology. And so we were building out a, a cloud services platform. Um, and uh, from an AI services standpoint, it was pretty early. Again, we're talking 10 years ago, right? Mm -hmm. So we got to put this in context. Today, everybody's got like a full catalog of stuff. But then it was really only some, there were some very good services Google had in telephony. So text-to-speech, speech-to-text, like that type of element, and certainly on translation. And that was tied more to... Um, their their investment in uh, uh, mobile phones and the Android ecosystem, right? That tie along that. Anything else, particularly things that had computer vision, natural language processing, were, were very rudimentary. I mean, we were only, well, I think we were less than a year out of like the big jump in in AlexNet, which was kind of like a a a big stepwise jump in the capability of neural networks. Okay. Um, so like, again, very early in this kind of like second age of coming out of this winter of AI. Right. So it was, yeah. it was really cool. It was really exciting. And um, 
the big thing for me was I got to work with a lot of customers about the what can it do for me type questions. Okay. What makes a good use case? How does this play out? Where might we use it? Um, and that and that was great. And it was like four years of that, right? Just like nonstop travel all over the place, go to all the places you've been before in Wall Street and Geneva and you know, Canary Wharf in London and you know, all like those those big centers and talk to people who were really thinking at the cutting edge of what we were doing. And it was really interesting to see what they were doing at the time and and where they're going. And so kind of at the end of my run there at IBM, um, I decided, I decided to get out and leave and, and really kind of go on my own and do this. And part of that was my stage in life. I was in my mid forties at that point and kind of had wanted to do it. And it was like, boy, this is probably your last shot at this. Like right. you're not going to get another bite at the apple in 10 years. Um, and so my idea where I went with this was I said, I clearly see the AI piece here, right? I kind of understand it from a technology, from a use case standpoint. Um, the adoption is not quite there. Right. Um, there's a lot of white space. There's a lot of opportunity. Who who really cares about this? And in particular, who cares about data? Who puts a lot of value on data? Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of what I went looking for. And that eventually led me to, to Mindspan Systems. Um, and uh, because they had had a long track record in working with customers that were in regulated industries okay. and helping them with their data infrastructure, their business intelligence, like touching their data, helping them get Got better it. use out of the data. Like so, financial, healthcare, financial services and legal. healthcare were the two big ones. There yeah. was some CPG, Education, some event work maybe. on there. Uh, one or two on the side. It was a yeah. small bit, but finance, banking, and healthcare were the big dogs in there. And you know, I kind of know the financial services and banking side, and so that's what really kind of attracted me to the company and kind of eventually led me to buy the company. It was a you know smaller uh, entrepreneur who owned it who was kind of ready to go on to do something else, and that worked so out. Kind of worked out a transition there, yeah. So. Um, so that was kind of my thesis for going into this, which makes me sound smarter than I really am. Um, Good timing. And, uh, uh, well, 2020 wasn't great, but um, no, as no, far you're... as timing goes. But uh, certainly I, I, I look a lot smarter today than I did two or three years ago. Um, but but anyway, that gets back to kind of your question about trends and where we were going. And we were talking about this a little beforehand. One of the things to to help frame this, particularly if talking to your audience, you know, you're you're an entrepreneur, you're a marketer, you're not primarily a technologist. You're not going to differentiate your company on your technology, right? right? That's which is most of the world, right? Um, but many of them have lots of data and don't know oh, what to do with it. Bingo! This is this is the whole point, and this is where the real opportunity is because. AI and and kind of what's going on right now, and you see this with like ChatGPT, but there's also Anthropic, but there's yes, also Glam, the open yeah. source things like Llama. There's also the different, you know, kind of white label versions like Microsoft is doing, et cetera, et cetera. It's way more democratized, way earlier in the kind of hype cycle of its adoption and everything. Okay. And a lot of this has to do with the nature of AI itself. Um, there's a, there's a long heritage of AI research and AI work that was kind of done in and in conjunction with, uh, academics 
Yes. You look at some of like the very early on folks I had mentioned, uh, Alex Net, which came out of the uh, University of Toronto, Jeffrey Hinton's like one of the big players right. there. He's kind of recently a naysayer, but you know, very much that that tradition of we're doing the development, but we're also publishing. We're also making this available. A lot of this is done in in conjunction with open source projects. Right. It, it feels um, like Wikipedia, right. which is all to say, unlike mobile where you've had a handful of players that put an enormous amount of money into it, into an ecosystem that basically got captured by a handful of companies and eventually all went to Apple, right? Yeah. And the only way in was kind of through their, their narrow funnel, you know, kind of cattle gate app store, right? The AI technology you see out there today, the stuff from OpenAI, the stuff from Anthropic, there's open source um, alternatives to that that are on par from a capability standpoint, which yeah. is all to say the differentiation, the thing that's going to be special, the thing that's going to give you an advantage is not the machine learning element of it. It's not going to be at the algorithm level. That's largely going to be democratized. Sure, there's angles there, but not for most of the players out there. Mm -hmm. What the differentiator is, what the thing that is special, that where a lot of the value is going to come from, is the data that goes into the models. You see this now. This is frankly what was at the core of the um, Writers Guild strike. With, oh, right. With, uh, and SAG-AFTRA as well. They're looking at it from the same way. Um, that, that angle of the rights of the data that are going into the trained model and how it's going to get used, that's where the value is in a lot of this. So... If you're a smaller company, you have a lot of data. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of data about your customers, about how your business operates, about your market, deals you win, do deals you don't win. Mm -hmm. And the other angle on this and like why AI and why now, and, and particularly like how this is different than say the, the kind of analytics boom you saw maybe 15, 20 years ago, is a lot of that data is unstructured. And by unstructured, I mean, it's data that isn't in a spreadsheet or in a database. Think tables and rows, right? right. That's traditional like analytic space. Um, think about a lot of things that like your CRM does for you or your accounting system does for you, right? That's based on structured data. Tables and rows, let me pull it out and do it. Almost every SaaS product that you buy today is, is basically a UI on top of a database, right? right? And it's all structured data. Even mm -hmm. if there's like an image in there, it's just a reference that's in a table that says this file over here. Right. What unstructured data? I'm thinking, think everything else, everything that's not in a spreadsheet. So, you know, written text that's in natural language that you have in, in a PDF, okay. video, recordings, you know, things that are not along that way, even some machine data, right? You think of uh, some of the things that uh, you'll get from like IoT devices and things like that, right? They are mm -hmm. not quote unquote structured that way that you can just kind of like look at them and dump it into a spreadsheet and analyze it that way. All of that data is kind of hidden and locked into the format that it's in. What a lot of the capabilities of machine learning and AI do allow you to extract that and begin to use it and manipulate it the same way you could a spreadsheet. You can like look up and ask questions, do calculations based on that. And you see that like there's rudimentary capabilities of that right now in what OpenAI is doing, what Anthropic's doing, et cetera, et cetera, like the large language model are able to use that as 
there's different processes around it, but they can use it as part of like prompt engineering and things like that. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of that becomes more valuable to you. You're, you're going to be able to use that in ways that you can't today. So the, the data is really important. Um, drawing a blank on the guy's name. Um, one of these like smart futurist guys, uh, mm -hmm. He writes, he writes all, all the books. I'll think of it in a second and I'll be mad because I can't remember. But the saying was like, you know, data is, is the new gold or the new oil. And it was like, uh, kind of, right? It's really the way he talked about it is data is like the new sand. And, and what he meant right. by that was if I have data about one domain or one entity, it doesn't help me do something in a different domain, Right. Having a lot of image data doesn't help me with self-driving cars, which is both a problem, but it's also an opportunity, right? All it says is it's very, very germane to the thing that you're trying to do. <laughs> and for particularly smaller organizations, smaller companies, the data that you have about your business is unique to you. Right. Google has a ton of data, massive amount of data. Facebook, massive amount of data. You have data that they don't. You have the capability within you to have a, a competitive advantage, a competitive moat about the information and the data that you have. And I think that's not widely appreciated today, which means that data is largely undervalued. And there's, there's a lot of times, like I talk to banks and financial uh, uh, services companies, and a thing I say that kind of is a little cliche, but it's more true than not is, you know, your data is probably the most valuable thing that you have that isn't on your balance sheet. And it's probably more valuable than that right? in a lot of different ways. And that kind of gets them thinking, right? You know, but bankers aren't business people, they're bankers, right? So, um, but that's, that's that idea, right? The immense value of the data that you have. Yeah, be, being able to analyze. And I think, as you said, you know, between the, the cost of cloud coming down, tools that do analytics at that next level of data, um, and then also AI now, you mm -hmm. know, um, we've built tools already uh, using OpenAI, but also we're waiting to get Claude and Bard for mm -hmm. our marketing company. But already we've been able to build, you know, for example, um, a tool that we can build blog posts in bulk. So in bulk, I mean, mm -hmm. talking hundreds of web pages right. that are yep. well optimized with the right keywords, and they even get uploaded, automated to mm -hmm. any CMS, right? Work that would have taken hundreds of hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And then, you know, the question that I get from clients from the marketing side, I, we get a lot of entrepreneurs here who are like, what can I do to grow my business online? I'm like, well, okay, SEO, marketing, digital marketing, all of that mm -hmm. is important. And how can you use these AI tools, you know, for that? And I'm like, you know, the thing is that I, I think like every other tool, people will adopt it, but then they don't spend the time on learning how to actually use the tools. So what do you recommend people do to really get immersed in it? Because I feel like we're at a moment where there are certainly business leaders in mm -hmm. any industry who are like, yes, I'm going to adopt it. I'm going to teach and upskill my staff, right? And then there's others who are like, eh, well, we're just going to wait and see. And as you said, the data being the, the 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 gold mine they're sitting on, we've been using chat GPT to analyze data. I mean, I'll give you a simple marketing 
uh, tip here for some of our listeners. If if I have a competitor that has, let's say, 10,000 reviews across many platforms, I can easily copy those reviews and have it analyzed mm-hmm. to really figure out why they're getting fours and fives as opposed to how come I only get 300 reviews you know, if I'm a local law firm or healthcare provider. So there's there's ways that you can do competitive well, what's analysis missing? now. What, what is the thing that, the, that is potentially an opportunity for you? That's right. And even though yeah. that's structured data, it is in the public square. I can mm-hmm. actually, I'm not even having to scrape it. It's just a copy. Yep. Throw it into the, to, to the, uh, you know, uh, data analyzer and um, give me some actionable insights, you know? Yeah. No, like all of that is, is you're right on the money, right? Cause th- this is the type of thing about, you think of it from a productivity standpoint, right? And yes. you said like me doing this level of copywriting before would have taken me 10 or a hundred times as long or Absolutely. 10 or a hundred times number of people to produce that same output in that same time. Right. And that you're, you're just at the beginning of it, right? Understand yeah. like it's going to keep going. Now, you know, the, the, the best way to be wrong about something is to predict the future, but you know, we can kind of look at it right now and say, either we're, we've kind of like hit the peak here and it's really not going to get any better than this. And it's just kind of like tweaking at the edges okay. or we're only at the beginning of it. Right. It, it It's going to be in order of magnitude better and more effective as we go forward. Right. It's probably a good bet to say it's the latter. Right. It's going to continue to so. increase and get better. Yes. Um, th- there, there's certainly some technical limitations where you literally butt up against the edge of the laws of physics, but that's more at like the compute level. Right. And right. and if you want to do a mile depth on this, spend a half hour researching NVIDIA and what they're doing right now and, you know, the investments that they've made and where they're going, because they because they are really at the center of this from a hardware standpoint. Right. right. You need and them. They, pretty much like any service that you're using, any ones that we've talked about, go deep enough in there and there's an NVIDIA GPU chipset that's running it in the background. Right. So right. Which is why understand we're, like where it is. It's not at the software level, right? That's it's right. It's definitely gonna is, be at the hardware level. Yeah. Which is why our government is trying to prevent them from selling it to China. Absolutely. Right. Because it, it it's gonna become a, an export control, like from a weapon standpoint, right? You know, so absolutely. Um same idea, same, same thing. Um, but that's, boy, that's like crazy stuff and it's, it's way far out and, and you look at what they're doing and, and and certainly the valuation that's been put on them. And it's, you know, there's a, there's a pretty broad consensus that there's a long way to go and they're going to be continue to be effective and continue to provide big leaps in capability and, and, um, um, capacity for many years to come. So, Again, all, all I'm saying is I'm, I'm take take the bull case on this one, right? That there's more to come. I do too. I do too. So, I think it's so yeah, it, it's so different than I I, I think for from mo, for the average consumer, even if they are tech savvy, the the thing is that they've been misled for so long by so many industries. So mm-hmm. two that I'll pick out in the last twenty years: social media at large, mm-hmm. the Facebooks, the of course Google, YouTube, TikTok, mm-hmm. Twitter. They've been misled. They've, they, those companies have lied. I mean, they're still facing, you know, many, uh, many uh, backlash here with, with Congress with Section sure. 230. So they've misled everyone. They've lied. And the government just kind of went to sleep and said, sorry, folks, 
where, you know, really a lot of bad stuff is going to happen to your data. So we couldn't trust them. We got misled, even though we like their tools. Um, blockchain. So if you look at cryptocurrency early 2010, like it, it looked like it was going to change everything. Web3 and there was a lot of hype with NFTs mm -hmm. and all these things. And I feel like for the average US, you know, consumer, it, it didn't really matter. It didn't mm. change anything. Right. But I, when we're talking about entrepreneurship and businesses, what I tell the businesses I work with is like, it's so different than those other technology explosions that we've, we've had. You know, may, maybe you can compare it to mobile. Yeah, mobile definitely changed the game. But Very much. And I will say for the, for the banking industry, this is like one of their fears is missing out on a wave like that again. Yeah, because because the way that mobile changed and it, and it happened at the same time as the Great Recession, which yeah. very much changed the regulatory structure right. in banking. Well, we can so you had these like the two seismic changes. Right. And and essentially what you saw was the combination of both mobile and regulation open up the door to a lot of fintech companies and yeah. in particular paid peer to peer payments. So the only reason Venmo and um, uh, like Cash App and the ilk exist today at the scale they do was the combination of those two things. Right. right? Well, and, 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 and you're right. I remember at that time, you know, going back to 2008, nine, how mm -hmm. Mickey Mouse, the interfaces and the dashboards were, you know, so you, you have a business account with a big bank and you're like, are you kidding me? Look at these tools. And then you go over here and you're like, Look at these tools. And I would even go as far as like 2019, 2020, around that time when cryptocurrency kind of had its like second explosion again. If you went into like a Coinbase interface dashboard, mm -hmm. the way you logged in and the way they were integrated with Plaid and I mean, everything moved so fast and beautiful, sure. whether you're on the yeah. app or that. And the banking apps were like always behind, always behind. And you're you're absolutely right. I think banking, maybe they'll learn their lesson this time. You're obviously on the cutting edge of that. Now, in terms of data, Rich, you know, for a small business, where do they start when they want to really analyze this data and 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 discover what they could do with this data that could help sure. them grow? Where would they start? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of the things that you've talked about from a marketing automation standpoint, that's the low hanging fruit right now. The, there's there's a saying or there's a belief, and I, I'm, I don't remember who to attribute this to. It wasn't me. Somebody else smarter than me said this, but it's basically <laughs> like at some point in the near future, no one will receive anything written, text, email, letter in the mail, anything that wasn't written specifically for them. Meaning what a lot of this capability gives, gives you the ability to do is personalize everything. Wow. Basically get you down to a segment of one. Right. So not only can you do the segmentation of like understanding let me get beyond demographics. Let me get beyond psychographics or even like yes. where they are, but down to the individual person and then create the message that I have catered towards them and the situation that they're in. And so wow. the people that are best positioned to do that are the ones that are closest to their customers, the ones that are at the edge, that have the most proximity, that have the, the most intimacy with their customers and understand you know, their life, where they are and what's going on. So the ability that you're able to incorporate that into what you do to provide mm -hmm. a more relevant message, more relevant offerings and relevant, both in the words that you use and the timing mm -hmm. in which you deliver it. 
that that's going to be a pretty big differentiator. Yeah. And the ability to have the data, the information, the signal that triggers you to do those things, that's where the value is going to come from. So start with the marketing automation, right? Get, get better, do that better. Be able to test more, right? A lot of times testing messaging, testing specific ads, copy, et cetera, time consuming, right? Because somebody mm -hmm. has to sit there and stare at a blank page right. five or six times. Well, you don't have to do that. Now no, it's like, don't. here's what we have today. And give, give and, me the, and, the version of this that's half as long. Give me the one that's twice as funny. Give me that's the one right. that's three times as formal. Yeah. And which and, one and, works and which one works with which type of customer? I so agree with you. And to that yeah. point, look, I mean, my my best copywriters and designers, some of the stuff that we're creating to test, um, unlimited versions, right, in a testing mm -hmm. environment, um, are not a, at all offended by the fact that some AI versions are performing better than their own. And yeah. so it's kind of like what I tell our clients, like, no one cares about what you think about this ad copy it's how it performs because mm -hmm. i don't care about what i think either i may think that a is better and you think b is better at the end of the day the test will 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 prove who's right who's wrong and so you always have to have your mind open to the fact yeah. that the the data will will tell which horse is the winner right mm -hmm. so to that point i'm i'm all in an ai for that reason and that's why i wanted to have you on the podcast Definitely. Wait, I let me, let me give you, you one more point. One last cliche for you on, on that point, because because there's there's a palpable and not irrational fear here. Right. The idea of the AI is doing my job better than I will. Right. There's a, a another cliche. Right. AI will not take your job. Someone using AI will take your job. Yeah. And the, the best analogy we have, the best thing that we can look at is what happened to chess, how chess changed. And this goes back to IBM, right? Long before yes. I was there, but you, you know how that changed. And you look at like who is one of the biggest promoters of chess playing with augmentation of computers? It's Gary Kasparov. He wrote like a very long book about right. it in 2017 about how much better chess has become and how many more people are playing chess because of because they're able to leverage tools that help them be more competitive, more effective learn more, get more reps in play, you know, punch That's up, punch a, down when it came to it. So it's going to be very much the same thing. It's going to play the same way, but sitting out and saying, no, I'm a purist. I'm not going to do it. There's, there's going to be a place for that, but it's going to be an increasingly shrinking world. I agree with you. Absolutely. I, well, we're definitely going to have you back because as AI continues to grow and sure more, more people will adopt it, we'll bring you back as our AI expert, Rich. So it's been so good having you here. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Yeah, you can. If if you're a community bank and you're looking to get more out of your data, definitely check us out at MindspanInc.com. That's Mindspan Systems. And to reach out to me, I, I'm pretty much on all the socials. I'm most active on LinkedIn now, and you can find me under Rich Edwards. And and it's going to be the real Rich, not his AI chatbot. Correct. <laughs> nope. All right. Thanks, Rich. <laughs> <laughs>